Okay, the next case for argument is appeal number 22-1943, Copan Italia Spa versus Puritan Medical Products Company, LLC. Counsel for appellant is Mr. Homey. Hume. It's, oh, it's, I apologize. That's, I'm so used to it. <laughs> Five letters have never given so much trouble. <laughs> Sorry, silent L. Mr. Hume, can you proceed? You can proceed. Okay, thank you, Your Honor. May it please the court. Uh, James Hume for the Puritan parties. Um, this concerns the uh, PrEP Act immunity and is a case of first impression. In this case, the district court uh, committed a fundamental legal error that then led it to um, some erroneous conclusions on, on the law. And the fundamental legal error was that the uh, fact that the P3 swabs that Puritan makes are a covered countermeasure was not disputed uh, before the district court in the briefing on the motion to dismiss. Uh, COPA never contested that. Uh, it never contested that the Air Force contract uh, had been issued to um, Puritan, and it never contested that there were uh, emergency youth emergency. The youth district court orders. isn't limited to just what the parties choose to dispute. Doesn't the district court have discretion to say, I would like a more extensive factual record, I have fact concerns, before it reaches what may be a, a difficult statutory interpretation question? Your Honor, I, not in this case, because there is something called the party presentation principle, and we cited the Supreme Court case in our brief, U.S. Singang, um, there, where um, the court held that normally uh, courts uh, take the issues presented by the parties and uh, do not go beyond them. They're not a roving uh, commission to go decide issues, uh, particularly in this case where there was actually a motions hearing set on the motion, uh, which the court canceled a week or so before it was set. Had we had that motions hearing, there would have been an opportunity if the court had questions about these issues. You're not saying it was an abuse of discretion to cancel the motions hearing and decide this on the papers, are uh, you? When when the court went beyond what the parties had litigated and decided issues that weren't in dispute, I think it does rise to abuse of discretion under that party presentation principle that we cited in our brief. That uh, especially here, where the the contract and the, the fact that this was a covered countermeasure uh, were not contested in any way before the the district court. The the issues that you mentioned that there was emergency use authorization, but yes. I thought that the letter didn't focus per se. On your company, can you speak to that? Yeah, there are others out there, Your Honor. This court could take judicial notice of, and as I say, if it had come up at the hearing, we could have pointed to it. This specifically list Puritan on the FDA website and have the Puritan stock numbers. So again, it wasn't disputed because there was no reason to dispute the fact that these swabs were being used around the country uh, for the COVID test kits. But this all sounds like matters that the district court should be deciding in the first instance. And my concern going to appealability is, are we stuck with the task of looking at letters that are not, uh, that were not found by the district court to support your position on the merits, as opposed to having the district court find in the first instance that those letters either do or don't support your position. I, it feels like something that, the, to me, that the district court really ought to be given an opportunity and and perhaps even required to 
make the requisite findings to go yay or nay on the question of immunity. This district court has not ruled, as I see it, on the question of immunity. It simply ruled that it has not yet been established, anticipating that there will be more evidence on that question. Is it not? That is why our alternative request for relief is a remand and ordering that this be handled. Right, but but it it presumably will be handled by the district court, regardless of whether we find jurisdiction or not, if we send it back for that purpose, after having found that we have jurisdiction. But the first question is, do we have jurisdiction? And under a case like Johnson against Jones, it seems to me that this case has significant factual uncertainties in it that doesn't really fit nicely within the Mitchell against Forsyth type line of cases, does it? Well, I, I think the recent Hampton decision, which we filed a Rule 28J letter from the Ninth Circuit. I've read Hampton, but Hampton specifically says, and this it seems to me is, is critical, it, Hampton says that the district court, let's see, I have it here, the district court made a determination with respect to the issue of uh, immunity. That is, has not happened in this case. Right, and we submit that as one of the, the, the erroneous uh, rulings by the district court, because immunity, as the Ninth Circuit pointed out in, in, in this case, uh, for the um, for the emergency, for the um, declaration here, it's it's not just immunity from damages, but it's immunity from from suit, and uh, it's a very rare form of statutory protection. And when it does exist, uh, the case law is almost uniform. It's to be determined early in a case because otherwise the immunity. Johnson v. Jones, though, that Mr. Bryson or Judge Bryson point you to. Well, I, I go back to the fact that it was not disputed before the district court on the record that the P3 swabs are a covered countermeasure. And then there's no legitimate basis on which that could be disputed. In fact, I think the the um, Fourth Amendment that uh, the district court did cite makes it very clear that um, there's, there's several ways in which it's a covered countermeasure pursuant to the contract. And if you recall, this was an all-hands-on-deck situation back in spring of 2020 with the government just uh, scrambling to use the Defense Authorization Production Act to get um, devices like this into production, and thus the Air Force was designated for the purpose of uh, contracting. And the Air Force uh, had agreed that these were covered countermeasures in the contract itself. So there is a record here. You, you don't take the position, do you, that the district court has fully and finally decided immunity question against you? No. By, by failing to decide it, um, uh, that's an effective denial from immunity from oh, uh, suit. By failing so far to decide it? By you don't think so the district court has said, I don't want to hear any more from you No, he did not question. say that. No. I didn't think so. No, no. So, so he's presumably willing to hear more from you on this if you have more to offer and ultimately may find that you have established the ground for immunity, right? But instead, you've come to us. It just seems like an, uh, we're not well equipped to make these kinds of factual determinations without having a ruling, a definitive ruling from the district court. That's my problem with appealability. And that's why, as I say, as an alternative, we asked for a remand in, with an order that would be bifurcated so that this immunity issue can be decided first before there's uh, any further discovery because we have, frankly, 
Copa knocking at the door and he wanted to take discovery on the P3 swabs. And that by itself is, is a problem when you have so immunity from that. I do want to speak more to what's going on in the district court. So my understanding, right, is is it currently stayed pending appeal? Is that accurate? In yes, terms of the case? it is. But isn't there also something in terms of an order where there's going to be some discovery that's going to take place since maybe 2020? Or can you speak more yes, to what there, there, the court has planned in the district court? The, uh, but for the appeal, uh, discovery would have started. And as I say, Copen was intent on taking discovery about these P3 swabs uh, and where they're manufactured and things like that that we think is would effectively... Is discovery going to relate, though, to this PrEP Act issue? Is that well, I don't know, frankly, what there is to discover on that because it's very clear, as I said, uh, there are FDA emergency youth authorizations that name the Puritan swabs. This court could take judicial notice of them. It's not really an issue that they're on the FDA website, and I think they are the types of facts the court would be empowered to do that. It's not really an issue that will require much in terms of litigation because it's not subject to a genuine dispute. These swabs are clearly a covered countermeasure um, and have been a covered countermeasure uh, on the declaration that the uh, secretary has issued and uh, has has uh, modified a number of times. And in fact, uh, if you go to the HHS website, it's pointed out the purpose of this declaration is to provide immunity. That's the whole purpose. I, I, I understand your distinction between immunity from liability and immunity from suit, but it seems to me at best for you, your immunity from suit is being somewhat eroded. It has not been conclusively rejected. If we just said we don't have appellate jurisdiction, nothing stops you from asking the district court, which I don't think you did yet, uh, for essentially the bifurcation, ask it to stay everything but focus on your immunity issue first. If you're denied that, you still have a chance at summary judgment. I grant you every day that you have to litigate, arguably, is some erosion of your immunity from suit. But is it really depriving you of your immunity from suit? I I think um, the immunity from suit is, the essence of it is you should not be in court having to respond to those things and doing that. So I think it is an effective denial. It's not a complete denial, but as as your honor knows, discovery is probably the most expensive burdensome part of litigation. And to remove that part of the immunity uh, effectively strips away a major did, did portion. You, did you, of in fact, ever ask the district court? Let's no, just, let's just do, if, if you have fact concerns, let's resolve those and put everything else on hold, or did you just come file an appeal? No, we came to here and to the D.C. Circuit because of the statute um, that indicated that a D.C. Circuit appeal was available. And, and uh, of course, the D.C. Circuit Why not seek the relief that. from the district court initially? Um, we decided that it was an issue of first impression that really required appellate review. Well, there are a um, lot of issues of first impression that need to start at the district judge. Yeah. I, I just... Why well, that's... Is it? that's let me ask you this. I, if I could, well, go just, ahead. Please, go it's ahead. It's just the point being, since these issues were not contested before the district court, and there's really no legitimate basis on which the status of the P3 swabs as a, as a covered countermeasure could be contested. Um, that's why they weren't contested. It's not a contestable issue. Uh, that's why we thought it made sense to come here, because mm-hmm. it was coming up on an appeal with a record where the the issue wasn't preserved. In fact, I think it's been waived by, by Copen by not challenging it in their briefs. 
So, um, in terms of the other issues that they've raised, uh, I do think that uh, the Hampton case does go through the three factors, and we meet them here. It's, it's obviously uh, we're not talking about the patent claims at all. The immunity has nothing to do with the, the patent claims themselves. That satisfies the, the second factor. Uh, PrEP Act is clearly complete, com, complete immunity. And um, as, as I indicated, if we wait and have to participate in discovery, uh, that's effectively, as, as Copen indicated, a, a denial of the, a major portion of the immunity here, the immunity from, from the lawsuit. Um, there's really no legitimate issue uh, that um, the act is unconstitutional. And those were the issues that actually Copen preserved or raised in response to the motion to dismiss. Uh, four issues they had were that the act was unconstitutional because it took away patent rights, but these patents all issued long after the PREP Act was on the books, and Congress can clearly has the power to uh, condition patent rights in any way they want to. Um, they also condition power, uh, patent rights is one thing to revoke the property right that has already vested seems to me to be a rather well. Matter. I don't. I do not believe it, it vested in that sense, since the statute was there and, and indicated that uh, there could be a suspension of uh, the patent rights, essentially, and and any loss that was accrued. Uh, would not be recoverable because of the PREP Act. I think that's entirely permissible. And when the patent issues, it issues in view of all of the other federal statutes that Congress has enacted. So Mm -hmm. there's not a due process or a taking issues here. But if there were, uh, Copen has a remedy to go to the Court of Federal Claims and pursue that if they wish to. So I think that's that's where that would be. Um, I just want to briefly talk about loss because I think that that is uh, important in terms of the, uh, the statute. Uh, President Biden, when he was a senator, uh, when this statute was enacted, uh, termed the claims for loss language staggering in its its breadth. It's any type of loss, and clearly the, the statute anticipates that there would be uh, economic injury, personal injury, and it's an extremely broad definition of loss that certainly would uh, embrace the damages that are claimed in this case. So, uh, this court and uh, district courts have routinely described patent damages as as a form of loss. And in fact, the statute says that there is a sole exception to the immunity for death or serious physical injury approximately caused by willful conduct. So I think there's no doubt that the claims here are subject by the loss. So we think because the record was uh, not disputed below uh, that the district court's decision should be reversed and uh, the case should be remanded uh, in order to enforce the statutory immunity, or at a minimum, district court should be ordered to bifurcate and resolve that first before anything else happens in the case. Counsel, you're well into your rebuttal. Do you want to save the? No, I, I will. Uh, I will reserve the rest and sit okay. down now. Thank you. Mr. Newman. Yes, Your Honor. May it please the court, Michael Newman, on behalf of Plaintiff Appellees. Copen Italia and Copen Diagnostics. Um, I'd like to start with the legislative history that was just mentioned, um, and in particular, a statement that was made in reply by Puritan with respect to the legislative history in which they accused Copen of misrepresenting uh, the legislative history um, where we had argued that 
PREP Act had nothing to do with the patent damages at all and was encouraging innovation, actually, like the Patent Act. In their brief on page 15, they quote Senator Hatch as saying, we understand there's bold proposals that challenge our colleagues to make fundamental changes in our intellectual tax and civil liability systems. And that statement struck me as a little strange because there's nothing in the PREP Act that I could see that had anything to do with patents or intellectual property or tax for that matter. I saw only civil liability. And this was a statement from Senator Hatch, who's long been a strong proponent of patent owners' rights, as we see from Hatch's Waxman Law. So you're taking a look further at that statement. Senator Hatch went on to say, to say, unfortunately, from my perspective, the bill that resulted from the HELP Committee markup did not contain the intellectual property and tax provisions that Senator Lieber and I had been advocating. And so what were those intellectual property and tax provisions? They were tax breaks for those individuals and companies that were working in a space to try to pre- prevent pandemics. Could I, could I ask you to focus first now on whether we even have jurisdiction over this case? You heard reference to the Ninth Circuit decision in Hampton, which seems very close to the situation we have here. And the Ninth Circuit said, yes, the collateral order doctrine is satisfied in a case like this. Why shouldn't we be persuaded by the Ninth Circuit? Well, the, the, that case had been conclusively decided by the lower court, which held that PrEP Act immunity did not apply. Well, here it seems it's been at least implicitly conclusively decided that Puritan does not have immunity from discovery with respect to the P3 factory. That, that is, it's, a, it's immunity from suit seems to have been con- conclusively decided, at least in effect, against them. I I disagree. I don't think there's been a conclusive decision at all. We're we're in a 12B6 posture here, not a Rule 56 posture. So all that needs to have been done is that COPA needs to have stated a claim for which relief can be granted. We did that. It's undisputed. That's why this is only a partial motion for summary uh, for uh, to dismiss. So at the 12B6 stage, that's what we look at. We look at the pleadings. Did we state a claim? We did. And it's their burden then to come forth. In, what is your response to opposing counsel's statements about all of these facts are undisputed? Can you at least address that as well? Sure. The facts aren't undisputed in our... Did, did you say are or are not? I'm sorry. I looked away. Uh, the facts are disputed. In our moving papers below, on it's at Appendix 4344-4345, Copen says, at the very least, we need an opportunity to discover information about the alleged defense in the alleged immunity with respect to the P3 facility, which, of course, we do, because not all flock swabs are going to be covered countermeasures. All right, but you did not oppose the motion to dismiss on the grounds that there are factual disputes, did you? We did oppose. We it, It's the last section we opposed by saying we need discovery on this defense. Is that this 4344 or 4345? That's right. So when... Um, Puritan characterizes this as you only opposed on statutory interpretation and constitutional grounds. You say that that is that is factually inaccurate. That's factually inaccurate. Inaccurate on, on page on appendix four three four five we say um, Copen has clearly stated a claim for which relief can be granted and at a minimum should be allowed to explore the factual basis for Puritan's new allegations regarding government authorization. Where do you dispute the covered countermeasure issue? 
Well, the covered countermeasure, there's a number of things. First of all... No, no, but where did you dispute prior to the district court's opinion that the P3 flock swabs were covered countermeasures? We said we don't know if they're covered countermeasures or not. Where did you say we don't know? We said we need additional discovery. Where did you say that? On these two pages? On those two pages. We said we can't tell. That's the problem on a Rule 12 basis. So we should read 4344 and 4345 as you disputing whether the flock swabs from the P3 factory were a covered countermeasure. Definitely. We don't think all flock swabs from P3 are going to be covered countermeasures. In fact, there needs to be an administration to or use by an individual before they become... Did you dispute that at least some flock swabs from P3 are covered countermeasures? I don't know. I don't know. In the record before us, we don't know the answer. You don't know whether you disputed it? That was the question. We do dispute. But with respect to Judge Stark's question, did you and do you dispute that any of them are covered? That they're all not covered? I'm not sure I understand the question. In other words, are you taking the position that they are all not covered? We're taking the position that Puritan has not brought forth any evidence to suggest that any of them are. We don't have a single use or administration which is necessary for a covered countermeasure. But it's a motion to dismiss. What gives rise to their need to present evidence? And again, where did you... Maybe this is a separate question. The district court raises fact disputes that I don't see that you raised. Tell me if you agree or disagree with that. The district court just dug a little bit deeper into the contracts, which is perfectly appropriate. It doesn't rise to the level of the Sing Sing case that was cited. In that case, the district court had made a decision on the law, and then the appellate court had asked three different amici to opine on different areas of law that were not even raised below. This is the area of law that was raised below. There's not enough discovery for us to tell. That was an area of law that we raised. Maybe just asking it slightly differently. It sounds like you're saying you made a blanket statement that there were factual disputes, but then the district court, in your opinion, identified exactly what some of those areas were that needed to be explored, but maybe you did not in your opposition? I would say that's fairly accurate. We raised that there were factual disputes. The court agreed and identified a few. There's more than the ones that are identified. These swabs, as admitted in Puritan's briefing, these swabs can be used for forensics. They can be used for environmental sciences. They can be used for any number of things, not necessarily all treating COVID. It could be used for testing the flu, strep throat. There's a wide range of different uses that are not necessarily going to be covered countermeasures with respect to these swabs. That's why we need discovery into the facility. Can you confirm for me about the emergency use authorization? My understanding was at least the information that was provided to the district court didn't even relate to the actual company, but now I'm hearing something different or argument that it's all very clear. Can you just speak to that a little bit? As to whether there was an authorized use? Is the emergency use authorization information that is before the district court specific to that company, or was it for a different company 
and just more general. I'm trying to understand that's that right. So that. that did not identify Puritan, did not identify flock swabs, it didn't identify the P3 facility. It was for a Minnesota company that had uh, that had uh, a testing for COVID that was developing tests or was actually doing the tests for COVID. So it doesn't have anything to do. We don't get any information about whether or not any particular swab from Puritan's P3 facility was actually administered to or used by or has any emergency use authorization at all. I mean, we have to remember we're at the 12B6 stage. Had they, had they brought a Rule 56 motion, we would have been able to file a Rule 56F affidavit saying that there wasn't enough information. We would have done that, but not at the 12B6 stage. There, we've stated a claim. It's clear that we have stated a claim, and it's their burden to show that, that we haven't, and they haven't done so. The party presentation principle has been mentioned. Is your response to that just these last two pages of your brief? We, we did raise, or we did enough to raise these fact disputes, so this was not the district court coming up with an issue that was not in dispute. Right. The party presentation has to do with legal matters. The parties don't, re- don't, don't bring up. The, if there's an elite, a legal matter and the district court finds that that legal matter wasn't supported by the evidence, it absolutely has the power to do that. Even if the parties were to agree there is sufficient evidence, please just decide the legal question. Would you go that far? If the parties agreed, then I would say that no, the, the court wouldn't on its own wouldn't have to do that. So do you need us to find that these two pages in your brief actually put in dispute uh, the factual questions uh, that the district court uh, denied the motion on? Let me put it another way. You would have to find that we agreed and we didn't. Right? There's, we did not agree to the, to, to the idea that there was enough evidence to support their their allegations. We did not agree to their allegations with respect to the, any facts that were brought before us. Can I just try again? To, I know you already answered it, but I'm still struggling with the immunity from suit point. If it turns out at the end of the day, I know life moves in one direction, but when we look back, uh, if it turns out that they're absolutely right they're immune here. The P3 will will never be the source of any liability. And, and Congress said they're immune from suit. So if, if, if it were to turn out that they went on immunity in the end, won't it also be, sadly, in retrospect, they were deprived of their immunity from suit because the district court, for whatever reason, did not decide this question at an early stage in the case? No, I, I, I think that's... That's incorrect. Under the Supreme Court precedent, Will versus Halleck, there has to be some particularly pressing interest that's important and completely separable. So we're, we've talked about the first, there's three aspects of the collateral order doctrine, whether it's been conclusively determined below, which already it hasn't been, so we don't have jurisdiction here because this is not a court of first impression. Secondly, it has to be an important issue that's completely separable and Will versus Halleck shows that this needs to be a pressing public interest. And all we're talking about here is which spreadsheet we use, how many flock swabs are going to be actually subject to the reasonable royalty calculations. That's easy enough. And it's not that important because it can be, it can be dealt with after final judgment. But this we, argument you're making now is in conflict with Hampton, right? Because Hampton said, 
PrEP Act determinations of PrEP Act uh, immunity are within Cohen as long as there's a determination by the district court of whether it's yes or no with respect to the immunity. The argument you're making now seems to me to be in, uh, flying in the face of what Hampton says. I think that that there are situations in which there will be PrEP Act immunity that should be ruled on very quickly. For example, if a doctor is treating uh, and is going to be subject to not being able to exercise his discretion or her discretion, then maybe there's a situation. But that's not the situation here. We've got a patent claim. It's not inextricably. It's, this is not a completely separate issue. It's almost like a licensing defense where we wouldn't be here in front of you on an interlocutory appeal based on the licensing defense denial. That's all there is to this when it's a, when it's a patent suit. It's just numbers that can be cured with uh, monetary situation at the end of the, of the end of the Except that the PREP Act, to the extent, let's assume for a moment that it does apply to patent infringement. <clears throat> the PREP Act does talk in terms of immunity from not only damages, but suit. And by the time the PREP Act was enacted, that formulation, that verbal formulation was very well understood to mean immunity in the Harlow, Mitchell, etc. line of cases. So that... To say, well, this isn't all that important, it seems that Congress at least thought it was. Well, most of the cases that we see talking about immunities, there has been some discovery on whether the immunity applies. Uh, that's why there have been dis- most of them are being disposed of at the motion for summary judgment sta- stage. So immunity from suit doesn't mean that you could, can just come and claim some right. sort of immunity you're, without you, any You discovery. have to establish... You're right to the immunity, and that involves some degree of suit, and therefore you're not entirely immune from suit, is your argument, I take it. That's right. right. That's right. And especially in a situation here where everything's going forward anyway, and all we're doing is an accounting exercise at the end that can be, that can be dealt with upon final judgment. Like, I don't want to see this go back down. You said all discuss, let's say we find that there's no jurisdiction in this court, and it goes back to the district court. Have you agreed to address this PrEP Act immunity issue first? Has that been raised? Can you speak to that? It hasn't been raised, but there was discovery set to take place. We were supposed to go to trial within three months of that, and and that discovery was supposed to take place. We already had discovery requests served. We were ready to move quickly. Now it's been a year and a half that we've been caught up in the Discovery requests focused on PrEP Act immunity? I'm just wondering, let's say it goes back. Is this going to be put on the back shelf, or is this going to be front and center? I'm trying to get a sense of where that stands. If it goes back, you're on, I'm, I'm, I think I'm out of time, but to answer your question. Go ahead and answer. It, it will be front and center. We would get the discovery that we need in order for them to, for us to you know, refute their defense. If their they, defense of immunity. Their defense of immunity, right. that's right. What I, we're concerned with, I think, is, is this issue of immunity going to be decided initially and discreetly from the merits of the patent infringement action? That's, in, if you are right that they are subject to, uh, have to bear the burdens of the lawsuit in order to establish their right to immunity, that doesn't mean that that question can be put off while there's a lot of discovery that goes on with respect to the ultimate question of liability. So what my concern is, at least I think shared by by the other members of the panel, is if we say 
we don't have jurisdiction. Does that mean that is the district court going to attend to this issue of immunity promptly and prior to going into full discovery on the merits of the infringement action or not, in your view? In my view, this is the only thing left. Discovery is closed in the case. Because prior to this stay for the pandemic, you had pretty much finished discovery? Everything. Expert discovery was done. Fact discovery is done. The only thing left is whether or not there's this immunity. And the court can rule on that as quickly as it chooses. For some reason, I thought expert discovery was still left to do. You should know, obviously, the parties are in the case. Hopefully, you guys will be able to confirm that. It's been so long, Your Honor, since we were dealing with this case. It's been five years pending. But it sounds like you're saying your client would have no objection to putting this issue front and center and deciding it before any other issue that may have to be resolved. Is that right? We would have no problem with that. I would hate to see a denial of a motion for summary judgment on either side, whether we win or whether we lose. I would hate to come back here and be in front of you again after another year of appeals because it's just not an issue that should be subject to collateral order one way or the other. If we were to find we have appellate jurisdiction, do you oppose us remanding with instructions that apparently your client would be fine with anyway, but instructions that the district court has to prioritize this immunity question? That's sort of the alternative relief as I understand it. Prioritize or bifurcate? Prioritize I agree with. Okay, bifurcate I suppose means stay everything else. Which would be completely inappropriate. But adjudicating this quickly is, we have no problem with that. Thank you for your indulgence of the extra time. You can restore three minutes. Thank you, Your Honor. To answer your question, the district court had set this case for trial. There have been no expert depositions. There's still discovery to do and the discovery that Copin was seeking was going to the merits of P3. There was no discovery tailored. Just to clarify, counsel, it's fact discovery that's closed, but there's still ongoing expert discovery. And this discovery on P3 was directed toward the merits of the P3 claims. It wasn't directed toward the immunity issues at all. So there are no pending discovery requests specifically related to the PREP Act immunity issues? As I understand it, not. And fact discovery reopened. Actually, Mr. Anderson has advised me that fact discovery had reopened. And they were bearing down on the P3, the merits discovery there, number of swaps sold, how they're made, and things like that that go to the patent claims, not to whether they're a covered countermeasure or not. So that's the problem here. I would point out that the statute specifically says, and this is in Part 4, in the case of a covered person who is a manufacturer, distributor, covered countermeasure involved, the immunity applies without regard to whether such countermeasure was administered to or used by an individual in accordance with the conditions described in Paragraph 3C. In other words, this whole argument that Cook makes, you need to... I just want to ask a clarifying question on the fact discovery point. So my understanding, at least from, I think, the text of an order that's in the district court, is that the reopening of fact discovery, at least in part related to any new affirmative defenses raised by the defendants, is that accurate? I'm just trying to understand. I can confer with Mr. Anderson. That's fine. It was full discovery on P3 after we resumed. So it was... That's what was ordered, but then you agreed to a stay. Yes, for P3. I'd also point out the statute has a rebuttable presumption that the 
Copen has not dealt with. For purposes of paragraph one, there shall be a rebuttable presumption that any administration or use during the effective period of the emergency declaration uh, satisfies the conditions of the declaration. And uh, that means the amount of discovery that would be needed would be nil. But that goes to the point where they didn't contest this. If you yeah, look we, at we, we Appendix need to get that. 4324, yeah. the table of contents, it's just not 43, there. 44, and 45. Well, that's the paragraph or two at the end, which yes. is sort of a so general So address that. Why did that not reasonably put within the district courts what was presented to the district court? Hey, we, Copen, we do not agree that Puritan is right on the facts. Because if you look at the actual argument of of the uh, that they made in their opposition, they did not argue that the slobs are not a covered countermeasure. They argue at 43-44, Puritan's motion to dismiss is highly factual. It's based on certain alleged facts that, you know, were not used to support the amended complaint. In such situations, it's proper to deny a motion to dismiss. And I, I think that goes back to the arguments they made that the claims are not caused by administration to or use by an individual of a covered countermeasure. They didn't argue that it wasn't. So, so you concede that fact dispute was fine for the district court except, to deny the motion on the basis of. Ex- except that the statute says that's not a fact dispute. The, fa- the section I just read that said that it doesn't matter whether it's actually administered or used to an individual. That's right in the statute. So the arguments they made were legally insufficient. And I'd submit that if you look at their brief, the facts they were arguing were these administration and use arguments. But nowhere do they ever argue that this was not a covered countermeasure. Bottom of 4344 on the 45. Uh, pursuant to the court's recent order, Copen has propounded discovery requests that Puritan has not yet answered regarding contracts related to the P3 facility that have not yet been produced. Copen has clearly stated a claim for which relief may be granted at a minimum should be allowed to explore the factual basis, the factual basis for Puritan's new allegations regarding government authorization to practice Copen's patents. Yes. That uh, seems to encompass covered countermeasure, does it not? It doesn't. It, it, nowhere have they ever said that it's not a covered countermeasure, and I don't think that... Nowhere have they ever said they agree with you that it is, have they? They didn't. They never said they agreed that it was. But I think How by, can it be outside silence, the district court's discretion to say there's a fact dispute on whether they're covered countermeasures? Because we think under the, under the statute and the way it was enacted, we were clearly... A, Covered countermeasure. The Air Force contract recognizes. Well, that's asking us to sit as fact finders. My question is, how is it an abuse of discretion for the district court to say I have a fact dispute on covered countermeasures when, by your own agreement, they never agreed with you that you that the P three are covered countermeasures? I, I think, given that we argued that they were covered countermeasures, their, their absence and their silence and not contesting that is a concession. At a minimum, at a minimum, we should be allowed to explore the factual basis for Puritan's new allegations regarding government authorization to practice Copen's patents. How is that not uh, putting think, it at issue? I think that goes back to the actual arguments they made, Your Honor, in the substantive brief. If you look at the table of contents uh, on um, forty-three twenty-four, you will see that they make arguments that are allegedly based on some facts, use and administration. I think that's what they were arguing for. But in a minimum, out of fairness uh, to us, if they were going to contest it was a covered countermeasure, they should have said so, out of fairness to the district court. Uh, silence on this point, and I think, should be taken as admission that they 
they conceded that these were covered countermeasures. Given the thrust of our motion, if that was going to be contested, they would have said so. And therefore, we think that the case should be reversed, but at a minimum, bifurcated discovery, so we're not getting into the merits of the P3 claim, limited to whatever factual issues there really are on the declaration, which we believe would be extremely limited in this case, given the statutory structure here. Thank you. All right, this case is taken under submission.